Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, October 4th by lead pastor Rod Heppel. It's the second message in our Fall 2020 sermon series entitled, God of Wonder. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. Hello everyone, thank you for joining in with us for our service today. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that we kicked off a new sermon series called God of Wonder. Now, we called it that because we wanted to kind of explore a bit not only the character and nature and work of salvation that God has done, and that it's absolutely amazing in that sense of wonder, but we also want to be able to create a space to kind of wonder about the things that we ponder about God and and to truly enter into that and to learn and grow. The goal that I have for this sermon series is that we will learn about God, which will lead to knowing God, resulting in greater worship of God. We learn about God, to know God, in the sense of experiencing Him, in order to worship Him. The goal is not just to know about God, but to encounter Him and worship Him, because God alone is worthy of our worship. Now, this is actually going to, if this is going to actually happen for us, then I need to call on you. I need to get you engaged in this process where you intentionally do certain things if it's actually going to result in you worshiping God more. Um, that's why last week at the end of the sermon, I suggested a few ideas to kind of help you capitalize on the next 10 weeks as we're going through this, this sermon series. So I encourage you to consider three things. Number one, which was to read your Bible and to seek God in prayer to expect to hear from God when you read your Bible. Uh, I mentioned how you could slow down and hover over the certain words and phrases that seem to just jump off the pages of Scripture. So just to really pay attention to what you're reading. And then I said that in your prayer time, that you can be honest with God. Uh, Like Moses was when we looked at him last week in that story of him encountering God. He could ask God anything. And he did. He made this audacious request to God when he says, Show me your glory. I mean, really? So we want to know God and experience Him like that and worship Him in a very honest way. So in your prayer life, feel like you too can be honest. Don't be afraid to share your heart with God, what you're thinking and feeling and going through. God would rather that you be honest with Him than to carry on in some kind of a ritualistic way, not really letting your true feelings be known in prayer. So that's the first one. Read your Bible. Seek God in prayer. Let's be honest with Him. The second thing was maybe to take some time to start to journal. And uh, journaling, of course, is a process that causes us to slow down. Uh, If we slow down, then we're more specific, we engage more intimately with God. Now, I know how hard it is to do on a regular basis because it takes time. I was doing it this last week, journaling, and, you know, it's it's a scribble. It's a mess on paper. But those are my thoughts. So, journaling is a way for us to kind of stop and be still and know that He is God. Now, the other great thing about journaling is that you're keeping a record of your life. You can reflect back on the things that you've talked about with God and just see how he's moved in your prayer life, answered prayers, how he's been working, and journaling is a great way to do that. So maybe you're going to start journaling and your relationship with God is going to grow deeper in the next 10 weeks and maybe you'll journal for the rest of your life. That was number two. The third thing was to take some time and read a book. And... I outline the fact that there's three pretty good options that I think you could read, but there's a whole host of other options for reading books around your faith, around God. And so what I suggested was that, uh, one, maybe Mere Christianity. Actually, I think the first one was um, J.I. Packer, Knowing God, right? Um, The second one was Mere Christianity, where in that book, there's this excellent chapter 
uh, actually multiple chapters just on God. So that one of mere Christianity, I really would encourage you to go and read. And then the third book was one by Philip Yancey, and it's called The Jesus I Never Knew. And so that kind of maybe comes down into another level of looking at Christ and who he is as our God. Now, I will tell you this, it's going to cost you money. I mean, probably to $20, $25 if you go to Amazon.com. But I can say this, it's at least $10 cheaper than renting a new release of a Disney movie these days. Uh, because we watched Mulan not that long ago, and it cost 35 bucks. So just for the record, I want to say that I think it's money better spent on the book than it is on the movie. Okay, so I've thrown down the gauntlet, right? You want more of God in your life? You want to know Him more deeply, experience Him more fully? Then you're going to have to engage in some of these spiritual disciplines that are going to take you there. Now, in case this sounds a bit disingenuous because I'm a pastor and you're not, meaning maybe that I have all day long to engage in these spiritual practices and you don't because of your job, I want to say that I do my devotional time with God in the morning before work. I try to do it in a time slot that you have it too. For me, it's the first thing in the morning, just after I pour myself a cup of coffee. Secondly, I remember when I had those jobs. I had a variety of different clock-in, clock-out type jobs. And so I know what that's like. And I also happen to know that with a job like that, there are time slots. You just have to capitalize on those time slots. I remember when I had the choice to do this or to do that. And so, you know, maybe you do have little time slots here and there throughout your day where you can connect with God in this way. Here's what's on my heart. As your pastor who cares deeply about the spiritual well-being of each person at Sardis Fellowship, our families, the kids, youth, seniors, all of us, unless your personal walk with God is grounded and your faith in Him is real, then everything else that we talk about and do at Sardis Fellowship will be of little value. So my prayer is that the God of wonder shows up in your life as we go through this sermon series. I would love to hear how God is moving amongst us in these next few weeks, in your lives. In fact, I'm, in, I'm expecting to hear how God is speaking to you, speaking to me, moving in us, moving through us as we go through this sermon series. Okay, I hope that you're still with me and that you uh, can handle my little pep talk there. Ironically, today we're going to be talking about the existence of God. Is God really there? Ironically, because we were just talking about how we're going to intentionally connect with God. Now, I know for those of us who are Christ followers, of course we know that he is there. Our faith is staked on the fact that there is God. Because if no God, meaning there would be no Jesus, would be no cross, would be no resurrection, there would be no salvation. And then the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 would be true. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But of course we believe that it is true. As Christians, our whole life revolves around God as our King the one that we submitted our lives to in order to live at peace with him, at peace with our creation, and at peace with our fellow human beings. But some watching today may wonder, is God really there at all? And and for most of us who believe in God, we all have colleagues, family members, friends that don't believe. They no more believe that God is real than they do believe that Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy is real. And oh boy, do I hope I just didn't blow that for some of your kids out there right now. I'm seriously banking on the fact that your five-year-old is not watching this with you today. But you know, there is a chance that right now some parent has a crisis management situation going on in your home. So I'm truly sorry for that, but I I have to say it for this reason. It's a common street-level kind of argument that people make. An analogy for making the point that, well, God is not real, just like hmm and hmm are not real. 
right? And I think for some people, that's about the extent of the consideration that they have given about whether God exists or not. And quite frankly, that's not enough. Because if we're being honest about that conversation of God's existence, it's not truly comparable to figures who we do make up. There's a massive difference between something that's completely fabricated and something that is a legitimate claim, claim, where there's evidences in what we see, think, and experience. Billions of people all over this globe believe that there is a God. Why? Because God has given us enough proof of his existence of his existence. One author put it like this. He said, all of creation is, is God's fingerprint that's pointing to him. I came across the cartoon of this eighth fleas convention, a bunch of fleas on the back of a dog, and they're asking this question, what proof do we have there is a God? And you can see that I uh, took this from cartoon stock. Okay, so there you have it. Creation is one of the strongest proofs for people to believe that there is a God. We call this general revelation. Uh, revelation is to make something known. General is that everyone can experience this. Now, this kind of proof for God's existence only gets us so far. It, it may bring you to the place of realizing, wow, there truly is a God. He is the creator of everything. Uh, but there's more, right? And that's where special revelation comes in. Um, knowing him personally. That's what, why we need special, meaning specific knowledge of who God is and how we know him through the Bible, through Jesus. That would be an example of special revelation. Uh, and that we come to know God personally through his son, Jesus Christ. But today we're just looking at general. So let's come back to this topic of God's existence. Have you ever yourself said, why doesn't God just show himself a little bit more and prove once and for all to everyone that he's actually there? I remember being in middle school, and I was mocked by a guy who asked me if I believed in God, along with if I believed the Bible and heaven and hell and the whole story that goes with it. And I told him I did. He laughed so hard. I remember he doubled over and he was pointing at me as if I was the biggest idiot at school. But he didn't stop there. He went on to belt out to anyone who was on the side of the soccer field. Hey guys, come on over here. Get a load of Heppel. He believes in God. In that moment, not yet having the ability to articulate my position, but just being able to state it. I, I didn't even have the courage to muster up to stand up against this guy. He was bigger than me. I probably feared getting beaten up. But I just looked to the heavens and I thought to myself, why can't you just show yourself? Right now would be a good time. Or how about that garbage can right there? Could you send a little fire like you did for Elijah, burn it all up and everyone's going to know you're there. No fire, no intellectual argument that I put forward to dispute him. That said, he didn't put together an argument either. He didn't outline why the reasons were that he didn't believe that God was there. He just simply pointed at me and laughed for believing in God. And I guess that's the way things were done in 1984 on the school ground. Just a bunch of kids standing around. Some of them probably agreed with my friend. Some of them probably agreed with me, but no one said anything more. We just kind of dropped it. But don't we feel that way? Why doesn't God just show up? I mean, once and for all to just prove that he's there and end the debate. Hebrews 11.6 says it like this, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards them who earnestly seek him. So last week I was talking with Dr. Archie Spencer, who, by the way, is going to be preaching in our sermon series a little bit later on. And he was sharing uh, with me about this idea in theological study about the revealed and hidden nature of God. 
And I'm like, what? I mean, I've heard aspects of it, but I never quite paid attention quite like this. God is both revealed and hidden at the same time. (laughs) What does that mean? I mean, it sounds like an oxymoron, right? I just like saying the word oxymoron. How can God be both revealed and hidden at the same time? It's either one or the other, isn't it? Well, no. If faith is required for belief in God to be legitimate, then God has given enough evidence for us to believe in him without taking away the choice. He is both revealed and hidden according to the faith that the individual has. But think about it like this for a moment. If the evidence for God's existence was beyond question, then no one would ever argue against it. Then no one would truly believe in God as having faith because there would be no choice. It would just be a fact that required no believing at all. It's similar to love. If God made us to love him without having a choice, well then, that's not really love, is it? You, you have no choice but to love God, then that's not truly love. If God wanted to overwhelm our senses and overpower our will with the evidence of his existence, he could have done so, but it would miss out on a pretty key aspect of our relationship to him, that without faith or trust, there's no real willful love. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You don't want to see him, you won't see him. You want to see him, seek him. So the question I've asked for years is how much evidence would God have to show to a person in order to prove to them that he's there? Like, if you're truly an atheist watching this today, in this moment, and you don't believe that God exists, what would have to happen in order for you to change your mind and actually believe that God is there? What what would you have to see or think or feel or experience in order to do a 180 and turn from not believing to believing in God? You know, this has happened for many people who have claimed to be atheists, like have truly not believed that God is there, and they come to a place in life where they go, well, hold on a second, I've re-examined the evidence, and I believe he is there. I mean, C.S. Lewis would be a classic example of that. More recent times, Dr. Francis Collins, he was the head of the Human Genome Project, which was, you know, the mapping out of the entire genetic material, the blueprint of, the, of how, how, how us as human beings are made. And if you want more of a local example, here at Sardis Fellowship, Michael Fleming, he was an atheist for 30 years of his life, and about three or four years ago, God got a hold of him, changed his life. And this guy, he's an intellect, he's an academic. He was looking at the evidences that were there, and he knew that God was real. Okay, so there's examples. Now, in general revelation, the thing that everyone can see, right? Everyone has the option of seeing general revelation, mostly creation. You can stop and ponder it. How did the universe get here? Scientists know that it had a beginning, so that means someone or something had to start it all. So who or what? I remember hearing years ago that scientists had discovered this fact, that the universe has a beginning. This is pretty big news. And I thought to myself, that's great. They're going to now affirm Genesis 1-1, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But they didn't. They landed in a different place. Uh, They didn't land with God. What was their answer? Well, this idea of a multiverse, meaning that there are parallel universes to our universe, and somehow, a long time ago, along the line, those multi-universes birthed us. But you know, that still doesn't answer, how do you get this kind of universe where there's life? You can't get life out of non-life, and you can't get something out of nothing. You can only get something out of something. And the Bible says that God is that something. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the first cause that started this. Now, we also see in the universe this design. 
incredible, complex, intricate design, like the Human Genome Project that I referenced. Uh, and the more that scientists study and understand our world and understand how precise it is, it points to intelligent design, which means that it's not just a random series of things. There's order, and maybe there's an intelligent designer. When looking at the precision of the universe, Michael Turner, he was an astrophysicist at the University of Chicago, and uh, he made this statement. He said, the precision is as if one could throw a dart across the entire universe and hit a bullseye one millimeter in diameter on the other side of the universe. Another example is that the Earth sits on a certain axis point, a precise angle, so that we don't freeze or fry. And Colossians 1, 15 to 17 says the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So it's that last part that really seems to fit this precision of the universe. In Christ, all things hold together. This universe holds together because God holds it together. So the last proof I want to look at here in general revelation, uh, just in these little synopsis I'm sharing here, is a thing called moral law. The fact that within us is built in this sense of right or wrong. Again, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity has an excellent chapter on this. Go and read it. He talks about not just that you know, we do things wrong to each other and we know it, but we have this sense of ought. It should not be done like that. You know, you should not steal. You should not be rude to your neighbor or hurt them in that way. Around the world, people have this sense of right and wrong in every culture. We might not land on the same rules or, or that, but there's this sense. And so it begs the question, if there is a moral law that we know is there, then there must be a lawgiver, a moral lawgiver. So to summarize, we live in a universe, and that universe has a beginning. And therefore, someone had to have started it all. The Bible tells us, God. God created it all in the beginning. Secondly, this universe has complex, intricate design. And if there is design, then there is a designer, a creator, the one who holds it all together. And that there's a conscience about us, that we know right from wrong, that there is moral law within us, that means there's a moral lawgiver behind it. Now, I know that these kinds of observations are not airtight arguments for the existence of God that someone here and them this morning are going to totally believe. But don't they make you stop and wonder? I mean, does it make you consider more deeply? Not only wonder at the sense of how, but at the sense of the why as well. Like when I watch planet Earth, right, and I see all this amazingness about this creation, it just shouts, God is amazing. I see it every day around me, the fingerprint of God in creation. And one of the aspects that really makes me marvel is life. Like, how does something come alive to life? Now, a few years ago, when our kids were young, Anna and I got an incubator. We put in some eggs, and we were going to hatch these eggs out, you know, to show the kids. Now, I'd grown up on a farm, a turkey farm. We got little chicks, or pullets, one day old. So I'd already seen kind of what does a little chick look like, but I'd never seen this other than on Sesame Street or something like that. But in real life, to see a chick hatch. So it just happened to be Easter Sunday morning, and beep, beep, cheep, 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 and the chicks are pushing out the shell, a little crack to begin with, and then it pops the top on it, and it was like unbelievable. The head of this chick comes up out of the shell of this egg. And I'm sitting there, and I know I did this for the kids so that they could understand how amazing life is, but I am sitting there totally floored. I mean, three weeks ago, this was an egg I would have cracked and put in my frying pan, and here today is the head of a little chick popping up 
out of an eggshell. Yeah, we might be able to scientifically explain how this all happens, but let me tell you, nature is not just natural. Nature is supernatural. Nature begs the same questions as supernatural begs. How? Why? God, that's why. A person may choose to not believe in God, that the evidence just still does not stack up for them. But for me, it does. And this is just general revelation that we're talking about here today. We haven't explored the big questions of life that that we all have, that we all seek to answer, like, why am I here, and what is my purpose, and where am I going? Don't we all ask those same kinds of big questions about life? I actually think that a lot of people don't stop and ask those kinds of questions. I mean, maybe they do in kind of a passing way, but they don't sit and ponder on them long enough to really go on a quest to discover, well, what do I believe about these things? Life just kind of pushes along for them. You know, they have a job, uh, they go to work, they get their paycheck, they do what they want to do, and then they repeat that all over again. And so life just continues to push along at, at such a speed that they don't stop. You know, we typically don't stop and face those kinds of questions in life until someone dies. You know, and then all of a sudden we stop. I often do graveside services, and I'll say to the people that are gathered, I don't know what you believe about God, I don't know what you believe about life and death. But here we are at the grave where we're here to bury so-and-so because he or she has died. And, and we're faced with our own mortality at that moment. What is true of this person will one, be, be, one day be true of me. And it's a sobering thought, for sure, I know, but it's true. So let's project forward a little bit in our own life and ask that question, what will happen to me when? You know, is this just a game that we're playing and when it's over, it's over? There's no soul, no spirit, no eternal eternity. We're just go back to dirt. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, that one day you may be where I am. That's his plan for us. Do you believe in God? What would it take for you to believe in God if you, if you don't? And Paul says in, in Romans 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So to a person watching here today that does not believe in God, I'm in no way trying to be antagonistic with this conversation. I get it that you want proof. You need proof. I do too. But I believe that God has given us proof of his existence, that his fingerprints are all over this creation. And is it worth it to stop, take a few moments, and begin to ponder God again in a new light and wonder? Wonder who is behind all of this? Well, I hope that you do. Because I believe that if you do, you will come to a place of understanding that the true and living God is there. That he has created this entire universe, including yourself. And he wants to know you personally. If we're willing to seek him, he will reward us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I give thanks for who you are, your greatness. We look at this creation and we do marvel at your incredible design, your brilliance, your creativity. It goes so far beyond our understanding. It just boggles our minds. Lord, I pray for the one in particular who does not believe in you, that they would again take a look at this life, take a look at themselves, ask those questions of who they are, why they're here, where they're going, and recognize that they do have a creator, one who has not only made them, but loves them and has redeemed them. So lead all of us to your throne of grace that we might worship you as our true and living God. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.